area of wilderness. I don't know if anybody ever been to the Bounty Waters area? Some of us have. I tell you what, this is an amazing part of our country. And uh, it's along the border between uh, Canada and northern Minnesota. And uh, it's, it's canoe country. You can't take uh, motors in there, so you got to be real men to go <laughs> go to the boundary. Amen? All you guys been up there, you know what I'm talking about. And um, But uh, <clears throat> on a trip with a good friend of mine not too long ago, we were quietly paddling along fairly close to the shore. And we noticed an eagle sitting on a tree limb that was kind of hang, overhanging the actual shoreline. And we both just kind of stopped paddling for a moment and just let the canoe just glide along as we got closer and closer. Because our, our, our course that we were on would take us almost directly under the limb. And we had no idea that the eagle would sit there while we got really, really close. I think it was sizing us up and deciding what lunch might look like. I'm not sure. <laughs> and it was the other guy I think he was probably more interested in. But anyway... At some point, we got a little close, and the bird decided we had come too close. And he spread those huge wings and stepped off the limb and kind of just plummeted downward, but his wings were out. And the air got under his wings, and he just soared. I mean, if if we thought about it, we could have whacked him with the paddle as he went by. (laughs) That's how close we uh, we were. And that's how stupid we would have been if we'd actually done that, because he... uh, very, very impressive. This may be one of the most impressive of all God's creation is, is an eagle, especially in flight. Anyone who's ever witnessed an eagle soaring through a canyon or, or anywhere, you know, in, 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 and there's this sense of, of, of just boldness about it. This eagle's a strong bird, and it's amazing. It's one of the largest birds of prey, but more impressive than the eagle's size is its ability to fly. An eagle can attain speeds in excess of 100 miles per hour. Can you imagine? That's faster than some of you guys go to work. It's amazing to me. It it often cruises at more than 60 miles per hour. And airplane pilots have reported seeing golden eagles in flight at 15,000 feet above the earth. Gary Richmond, in his book, All of God's Creatures, reports that when uh, they're ready to mate, the male locks talons with the female and they free fall at about 60 miles an hour. There are, well, no, no, actually several thousand feet. Now, that's really, that's really falling in love. That's a really good example of that. And uh, by the way, speaking of that, the eagles are the, one of the few species of animals who bond with their mate for life. It's also noted that they have amazing eyesight. The human eye has 200,000 visual receptors per square centimeter. But an eagle has 1.6 million receptors per square centimeter. Now, that, that provides incredibly high visual resolution. I mean, if a person had the eyesight of an eagle, then you could read a three-inch high letter on the billboard one mile away from you. You could be able to read that. And such sight really serves the eagle very, very well because an eagle can see a small fish jumping out of the water five miles away. 
That's pretty incredible. I mean, without my glasses, I can't see you. <laughs> Just an amazing, amazing gift from God. The eagle also has impressive strength. A 20-pound eagle has enough strength in its claws to break the bones in a man's forearm just by merely grabbing it. <laughs> a former veterinarian assistant at the Los Angeles Zoo stated, noted that surgical needles were modeled after the talons of the eagle. And I could go on and on. There's so many fascinating facts. And it's just amazing. No wonder the writer of Proverbs 30, verse 18 says, The way of an eagle in the sky is too amazing to understand. One of the most intriguing passages about eagles, though, is in Deuteronomy 32, verses 11 and 12, where Moses compares the challenge of this young nation, Israel, uh, with the struggles. He compares it with the struggles of a young eagle learning to fly. He wrote, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. So the Lord alone led him. Now think about this. The mother eagle, in order to train her child to fly, first has got to stir up the nest. What was once a cozy, soft place becomes a place of discomfort. Now why does she do that? Because the mother eagle wants the young eagle to be restless to the point that they want to leave the nest. Now, there's a lesson here for folks that if you have teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, there's more than just that in the sermon. But anyway, that, that, that crossed my mind. But it's amazing to me, like, the, you know, change takes place. We don't like change too much. Sometimes God stirs up our nest, too. Changes take place in familiar surroundings that can kind of make us a little restless as well. Like the transition from one church pastor to another church pastor. Perhaps God is preparing us to move out of our comfort zone and into new and deepening experiences. I'm believing that to be true. But the mother eagle hovers then over her young. And, and maybe she's kind of demonstrating what flying looks like. But more likely, though, she's, um, it sounds terrible, but she's refusing to feed them any longer after they get to a certain size. Instead of bringing the food on her beak and settling it into the nest there and to protect them, she's now hovering above them and deliberately creating hunger and increased dissatisfaction. And sometimes God doesn't always provide the things that we think that we need. Maybe you need a job today and you're not finding it. Your prayer is not instantly answered. Maybe you need somebody to love. And no one's been immediately provided by God. Maybe we crave security, comfort, but our requests seem to go unheeded. And God can seem unfair, and God can seem unconcerned. I mean, if He's all-powerful, why would He refuse such basic things in our life? In fact, sometimes God's rejection of a simple request doesn't make a lot of sense. But back to the mother eagle, because I want you to see where we're going here. This eagle is described as carrying her young and then spreading her wings to catch them. Well, here's what's happening. This is a spectacular sight. I can't imagine it. Um, what it must have been to witness a mother eagle taking her baby on her back and soaring hundreds of feet up in the air 
And at the last moment, she does a surprising thing. She flips over, and the baby eagle is thrown off her back. And guess what? Gravity kicks in. And the little eagle tumbles downward. Can you imagine? Wildly flapping. She said, I know these things are for something. I've got to figure out how to use them. What a spectacular sight that must have been. And yet the mother's there. She's soaring. She's handy. She's close. She's gliding, watching intently. And at the last moment, she swoops under the falling infant and catches it on her back again. And immediately starts climbing again, higher and higher. And the baby eagle now is really hanging on now. And only then, I mean, you know, it goes through through the whole process all over again. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a little eagle looking up and saying, Mom, is this next trip necessary? (laughs) But once again, she climbs higher and higher, flips the baby eagle. He goes awkwardly tumbling through the atmosphere. And Gary Richmond notes here, he says, This frightening process is repeated until the baby eagle learns to fly on its own. Wow. Only then does she consider her mission accomplished. And though we're not eagles, the lessons for us here are are clear. While the Bible warns that the Christian life is filled with struggles, the Lord leads his people, just as a mother eagle teaches her young, to fly. I mean, you see, some young believers naively assume that if you just live right and go to church, God will see to it, everything will be fine. You'll be free from difficulty. But the Bible affirms just the opposite of that. Jesus warned his followers repeatedly that God permits his people to go through struggles. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace, because in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, Jesus said, they're going to persecute you as well. Matthew 5, 44, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness. 1 Peter 4, 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, I'm not sure scripture can make it more clear than that. Christians are not exempt from cancer, financial problems, death of a parent, automobile accidents, Parkinson's disease, divorce of family members, or any other difficulty. The Christian life is not just soaring to the heights without struggle. Sometimes the bottom falls out and believers will find themselves tumbling downward, yes. But what, trying to wonder what God's up to, whether God's protection and providence, when will it kick in? It's interesting, in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, there's a story about a man who was healed from his blindness. And Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and he would be made well. And he did. And for the first time in his life, he could see. I mean, he was exuberant. What a wonderful moment in this man's life. And it seemed that all of his troubles were over. Jesus had healed him. But you've got to read a little further here. In reality, his troubles were just beginning. 
the enemies of Jesus began to harass this man and his parents. He was questioned repeatedly over and over and over about Jesus. They challenged his theology. The Bible says they hurled insults at him. They kicked him out of the synagogue. Now that he could see, he had to get a job. His life was no longer a comfortable routine. You see, once he met Jesus, his blindness was cured, but his troubles had just begun. Have you ever talked to a starry-eyed couple who about to, about to get married? I know somebody went through your mind just now. I've had the privilege of noting uh, this in a number. Some are so excited, they can hardly wait to be married. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. And they can't think of anything better than to be with the one they love for the rest of their lives. Now, if you're married here today, what do you tell them? You say, well, it's going to be good, but uh, there probably will be some difficulties, too. Uh, don't be surprised if the romance kind of fades here. You've got to hang in there. You know, as an old preacher, I have married a lot of couples. And um, I've been married over 50 years. And, you know, one old preacher said that he loved his wife so much he could just eat her up. And sometimes the next day he wished he had. <laughs> now, if you and I are going to mature in, in the Christian life, then we're going to have to understand the struggles will come. Now stay with me. Don't be thinking about what I told you a minute ago. Okay? <laughs> it's imperative that we anticipate these things in advance. The Bible makes it clear that God will permit his people to undergo difficulties, to bring us to maturity, enhance our testimony, and that's an important thing. Listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. No one should be unsettled by these trials. Because he says, you know quite well that we're destined for them. Acts 14.22 tells what Paul and Barnabas were doing, going from church to church. And what were they doing? We were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in their faith. Why? Because we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The Apostle James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever, notice not if, but when, you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because perseverance must finish this work. Your testing of your faith develops that perseverance. And perseverance must finish this work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. A woman named Sheila Walsh once wrote a book entitled Holding On to Heaven with Hell on Your Back. Isn't that a great title? But the point of her book is this. The Christian life brings with it some burdens. Satan wants to unsettle God's people. And there'll come a time for every one of us as believers when life is upside down and we find ourselves floundering for stability, grasping for something to hold on to, to keep from crashing against the rocks of disillusionment. And in such moments, it's important to remember God's promises. God is faithful. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, you be strong, you be courageous, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you may stand up under it. So with that promise, <clears throat> let me move from preaching to meddling. Have you ever had that, you ever had that experience? When the preacher's just preaching along there and you're saying, amen, brother, real quietly, of course, you know. And, uh, but then he, then he gets off script or something here and he begins to, you know, you know just kind of poke a little at those things that we may be thinking in life. Here's our reality. In the life of every family, the life of every marriage, and even in the life of every church, you and I will experience some, some challenges, change, difficulties in some ways. And you have to deal with them. doesn't say that we, we may. It says we will experience challenges. But the critical issue is how do we respond to it? How do we deal with life when certain things we like a certain way are not going to be exactly the same way anymore in the life of the church? You've got to deal with change. We all do. But the crucial issue is how you respond because change does happen. And God is going to allow us to experience growing pains. Both family, personal struggles may come in our life. Our country has lost its moral compass almost altogether now and our health you know, can fade us and Heaven forbid, preachers will retire. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And through it all, you and I can control our response to such things. And with God's help, we can have a good attitude through times of change. And there's five ways we go about that. So if you, those of you that are looking for the points, ready to start, go one, two, three, four, five on your notes. Here they are. Number one, as a church, we can respond irrationally. Doesn't sound very good, but we can respond irrationally. You know, when faced with adversity, some will almost always exaggerate the problem. Remember the ten spies that they sent, the Israelites sent in to explore the land? And they came back, gave a negative report. They said, well, the people in Canaan are giants, and we look like grasshoppers in front of them. You know, remember Elijah the prophet was under pressure from wicked Queen Jezebel, and he said, God, take my life I'm the only prophet left in all of the land. And the Lord responded, that's not true, Elijah. There are 7,000 prophets who are faithful. But Elijah was acting irrationally to, in his struggle. And we Christians can sometimes do the same thing. That's the first response. Then the second, number two, is you can react resentfully. We can react resentfully. When Job's wife lost her health and her children and Job's health was broken. She said to her husband, why don't you just curse God and die? They had no marriage counseling back in these days. And if they did, I'm not sure I would have touched them. I really don't know. I mean, you know, she just, some people just get very angry with God because change is happening. They can become very bitter. And they complain, well, if you were a loving, powerful God, then why would you let this happen to us? Somebody's wisely said, realism is idealism that has been through the fire and been purified. Cynicism is idealism that has been through the fire and got burned. Big difference. Not every decision that your church family may make or the leaders of the church may make will always be popular. Did y'all know that? 
Did you know that the leaders of our church were human beings and very fallible guys? And, you know? Uh, now the wives are thinking, well, I knew that a long time ago. But anyway, we don't want to react to every decision with, well, how's this going to impact me? We need to think about how's this decision going to impact the, the future and the ministry of this church on down the road. The Lord's church is a body with valuable interconnecting parts, every one needed to minister to the body of Christ. So that's number, and I go, you can respond irrationally, you can res- react resentfully. And then number three, some respond to hardship with a pass- they're just passive. They do it passively. Whatever, what is that? What is case sarah, sarah? What is that? Whatever will be, will be. Have a grab a donut and go home. No, that's not part of the poem, but, but this does summarize the response of the Stoic who says, well, you know, if things change or something bad happens, you know, don't get depressed, don't get too excited, whatever will be, will be. And while that may be a better reaction than some of these others, it's still not the best reaction. Number four, we can respond to difficulty and hardship faithfully. Faithfully. You know, when Job went through all these tragedies and, you know, he refused to curse God and die. He wouldn't do it. He said, shall I receive good at the hand of God and not evil? Though he slay me, still I will trust in him. Now, even the most faithful of believers will ask, I'm sure, well, I don't know why God has allowed this difficulty or why is God allowing this thing in my life? You know, I don't know why he's doing it, but I still believe that he exists and I still believe that he loves me and he watches over me. And I still believe that Romans 8.28 is true. It reads this. We know, let's read this out loud together if you can see the screen. We know that in all things, God works good of those who love him. Beautiful verse, powerful verse. Sometimes we have to hold on to our faith with our fingernails, but we hold. Revelation 2.10 reads, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution, but you'll be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. See, never mistake the facts of life for the acts of God, because they are totally different. We don't see much of the acts of God because the world, at least in our country, the church has gotten so weak. You know, we don't pray enough. We don't throw these things before the altar of God. And what we're seeing is this downward progression of all kinds of horrible things. But we've got to be faithful. God is not unfair. Life is unfair, but God is faithful. And a believer must stay the course. And you've got to remain faithful in spite of difficulty, despite of hardship. Now then the fifth way to kind of manage our attitudes is this. You can use your troubles creatively. You know, the baby eagle is allowed to struggle for a reason. He does not struggle just so he'll learn to trust the mother. He's struggling to try to figure out how to fly like she does. And God is often allowing us to struggle and go through change 
And that's for a purpose as well. You know what it is? It's to bring about maturity, to enhance your testimony, to increase your abilities. You know, a whole lot of people have learned to use difficulty creatively. Pretty impressive. Y'all know who Jay Leno is? You ever heard of him? Any of you ever talked to him? Okay, probably not. But I'll tell you what, Jay Leno, was one of the, he has one of the most pointed chins of anybody you'll ever see. Have you not seen his chin? Are, you, are your eyes not drawn to Jay Leno's chin? You know? But he has used creativity, and he's a well-known comedian, and he's been very, very successful in spite of that unusually odd chin. I was sharing this briefly with someone else, and they said, well, I hope nobody in church has got a really funny-looking chin today. <laughs> so if you do, just keep your head down, pray, and it'll be fine. <laughs> no. Tell me you remember Mel Tillis. How many of you know who Mel Tillis is? Okay. Mel Tillis was a country music singer-songwriter, and he passed away just a few years ago, actually. But he struggled with a terrible stuttering problem. But, you know, instead of wallowing in self-pity or whatever... He laughed about it, and he was able to endear himself to millions of fans in his lifetime. And I read somewhere that high heels were invented by a woman who got tired of having her boyfriend always kiss her on the forehead. <laughs> Be creative. That's what we ask you to do. Deal with your trouble creatively. People who learn to use their difficulties creatively are impressive. And God's people should always look, always look, also look for opportunities to use your challenges for the better. You don't have them accidentally. For example, when the Apostle Paul was put in prison, he had to be disappointed. I mean, he was a type A personality, get her thing, get her done, get, just get on with this. But what did he do? He did more than just faithfully trust God to deliver him, which he did. But he took advantage of the opportunity. He wrote letters in prison. He witnessed to prison guards in prison. In fact, he wrote from prison, Philippians 1, 12 and verse 13. Here's what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in my chains for Christ. It's all about your attitude. Fanny Crosby was blind, but instead of wallowing in self-pity, she managed to learn to write hymns that the church has sung for decades. To God be the glory. Tell me the old, old story. Your blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. I am thine, O Lord. And more and more and more. But when she was very old, someone told her that if she had been born at the time, at the time in history, they, an operation could have been performed that would have given her her sight. And Fanny Crosby smiled and said, I wouldn't change a thing. Do you not realize that the very first thing I'll ever see will be the face of my Savior, Jesus? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. And when you and I are at our lowest, when you and I just don't know that there's any way out, we may be weaker than we've ever felt like we've ever been, that may be the very time that God uses you to make the greatest impact. And like the eagle, when you're, when you're falling, it may be you're about to learn to fly. And again, I say, as, as the world around us, specifically our nation, continues to spiral downward into godless rebellion and perversion and decadence, do not for a moment, a moment, think that God's not paying attention. He is. And to be honest, sadly, as a nation, we're beginning to reap what we have sown. But rather, anytime you think life's unfair, here's what you do. You look at the cross. You look at the cross. It wasn't fair for the perfect Son of God to be nailed to that cross at the age of 33. It wasn't fair for him to suffer the pain, the ridicule, the guilt, the loneliness, and death. And while it seemed on that dark day that the world had turned upside down and God's people were falling into despair, three days later, Jesus arose from that grave to live in triumph. And that is the reason we can smile, sometimes even through tears, because we know there'll come a day when we shall mount up on eagles' wings and we're going to fly. Amen. Bow your heads with me as I pray for a time of communion. Heavenly Father, we are so, so, so moved today to want to just commune with you and to recognize that you've sacrificed so much. And Lord, I just thank you that we can as a church body on the Lord's day we can remember your spilt blood for our transgressions. We can remember your broken body for our sin. And we can thank you and praise you by being faithful each week to remember you. Not just in this moment here where it's easy, but in moments that are outside this building that are, that are not so easy. Help us remember, Father, that wherever we go, you go with us. And you will never lead us anywhere where your grace will not lift us up, hold us up, sustain us like a little eaglet on eagle's wings. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.